Pretty good. Just, just about a minute. That's not bad. Well done, people. Well done. Exodus chapter 2, we are picking it up at verse 11, going through the end of the chapter. So let's read that together. Follow me as I read this, and then we're going to look over it in a bit more detail. That's why it's really important to have your Bible with you. Um, before I do that, though, your coffee cups, do me a favor, don't throw away your coffee cups. Just stack your used coffee cups, maybe on the bench back there. Is that going to be okay, Cat? Where's Cat? There's Cat. Cat, wave. Cat's going to re-upcycle those things for plants. Yes, well done, Cat. There are compostable cups, so that's why we use them. So stick them right back there. That would be great. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Sure. It's a bit echoey. That's it. No, I don't know. Is it me? Maybe the echo's in my head. There's so much room in there, yes. <laughs> Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating the Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. But the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in the land, in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And Father, we pray that you would use your word to show us what we need to see. We thank you, Lord, that we don't just jump into the story seeing Moses as this perfected guy, but we see how you were preparing him that he might know you, that he might follow you, and he might be used by you to help set your people free. And so, Father, I pray that we would recognize that preparation work your Holy Spirit is doing in us to know you and to follow you, to be used by you. Please, Lord, meet us here, we pray, in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says? Amen. Nothing important 
happens without preparation. Nothing. Everything that that we do that has actually value or weight or importance requires some kind of preparation. At this stage of my ministry, I can prepare a message in as little as four hours, but usually it takes me about 12. When I first started, it took me a lot longer. Because what God wants to say is important. But the preparation of a Bible study is one thing. The preparation of a person is something radically different. God prepares us to know him. And many of you know my story. I had this really radical conversion experience at 18 years old. But when God opened my eyes to to my need for Jesus and to who Jesus was and brought me to faith in Jesus, when God saved me, I could look back at my life and go, wow, really God was doing something there and there and there and there. It wasn't just in those days leading up to my conversion. God is at work preparing people for himself. Moses is no different. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to see how God is preparing Moses. And I hope that as we see how God's preparing Moses, we, we, we see the stage being set to how God has, is preparing to set his people free. We saw last week, right? God behind the scenes, working behind the scenes to prepare his people for the exodus. And we see this week, God working in Moses' life to prepare him for what he had for him. And I hope also that we see, listen, we see our own lives in Moses's. We see God preparing us. We see God doing a work that only he can do to bring us to himself. So let's look at this quickly. Verse 11, it says, it says this, right? One day Moses had grown up. He'd grown up. Now, we believe this is right about, about 40 years. That, that, that when it says he's grown up, he's about 40 years old. This was kind of the idea, the Jewish thinking is, you're a man when you're 40 years old. No offense, young men, but you're not a man yet. You're a man when you're 40 years old. But what we're seeing here is, is that Moses is already being stirred up. We, we, we know from, again, Stephen's sermon. Remember we talked about this last week? Stephen's, Stephen's sermon in, in Acts, Acts chapter 7 gives some commentary on this this story, this narrative. And here's what we read about this. It says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and his deeds. Some traditions even say that Moses was being prepared to take over as Pharaoh one day. This is a guy that had the very best education the world at his time could offer. But something was stirring in his heart. He was beginning to think about his Hebrew roots. We don't know how, We don't know what God used to do this, but something is stirring in his heart. But what we're going to see, I think, this is the first point that I hope that we get, because I don't think we think of Moses this way. We think of Moses and we think of Prince of Egypt or maybe Charlton Heston in the old 1950s version of the Ten Commandments. And he's loud and strong and he's like John Wayne with a beard. But that's... He's just really a man. And what we want to see is that first thing that God has to do to to get Moses ready is to show Moses that he's weak. Moses has to learn where he's weak. Now, Moses grows up, and it says here that 
he'd grown up, he goes out to his people, so there's already an awareness here that he's con- he should be connected to the Hebrews. He sees their burden. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And obviously the context is he's angry about this. He sees this injustice. And here's what he does. He looks this way. He looks that way. And he puts the smack down. He kills the Egyptian. And it's important for us to see this because what we see here about Moses is he couldn't control his anger. Now, many of us would empathize with that feeling. I see injustice and I want to put the smack down. But hopefully we've learned that when you see injustice, doesn't mean you can just go kill somebody. Hopefully none of us think that's a, that's a good thing to do. But Moses did this. In fact, we know this is more than even just a rash decision. This is really premeditated murder. That's the idea of he looked this way and he looked that way. He's thinking, I don't want to get caught in this, but I'm going to kill this guy. And he does it. As a, as a prince of Egypt, he would have been trained not just educationally, but in battle and war. He's probably a mighty warrior himself. But there's something else to this. Look at verse 13. He goes out the next day, and behold, there's two Hebrews now struggling together. And he says to the man in the wrong, this is obviously Moses is writing the story, by the way, so he's, he's trying to show that it was clear this guy was wrong. And he says, why do you strike your companion? He says to one Hebrew man. And the man answers, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Oh, this is interesting because we see here that... that He's, he's, he knows something's up. He, he, he thinks that, he knows that God has something planned for him. Moses knows this. We know this because, again, Stephen's commentary, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, we'll see, summarizes the, this section in a way that points to Christ, but the truth is it's still trying to show that Moses is acting presumptuously. It says, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they didn't understand. Now, of course, Stephen's sermon is meant to point to Christ and how Israel had rejected Christ. But still, the point is this. Moses, in writing this account, Moses is wanting us to see that he assumed his own importance. I'm the one that God's chosen. I'm the one who, who went to, to, to the best university. I'm the one who's trained in military might. I'm going to be the one that lets my people go. Me. And so often this is what happens to us. We, 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 we are, God begins to stir us about injustice. God begins to stir us about how we might make the world a better place. And we should be stirred that direction. But here's what can happen. We can start presuming, yes, I'll be the one that does this great big thing. That's a weakness. So what happens next? Verse 14 again. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, of course, he sought to kill Moses. But what happens? Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now here's what we have happening here. We see here Moses is fearing Pharaoh more than he fears God. Now some of you Bible students might go, oh, that seems a bit harsh. The author of Hebrews says he left, Hebrew, he left Egypt because he had faith. Well, yeah, we're going to see that, but that applies more down the road. 
In fact, it's important for us to remember who's writing this. Moses is writing this, and he's wanting the reader, us, to understand what it took for him to learn how to trust. What he had to learn to trust God. Because if you compare this story of Moses fleeing Pharaoh compared to the midwives back in chapter 1, the midwives who feared God and went against Pharaoh, they had no power. Moses maybe could have negotiated, but he runs away. See, Moses, before he could ever be used, had to learn where he was weak. Moses, before he could learn to trust the covenant God of Israel, the God of his people, he had to learn that he was weak. Before any of us can have a real relationship with God, we have to recognize how little we actually want that. That's our weakness. Our weakness is we kind of don't want God. We want good stuff from God. We've seen good stuff that God's done for other people. Oh, we'll take that good stuff, but we don't always want God. And we have to see that weakness as part of our preparation. It's God bringing us to a place where we realize, man, Lord, I don't really have self-control. And I definitely think of myself more highly than I ought to think. And I fear people's opinions far more than yours. It's when we see that about ourselves that we're ready to receive mercy and grace. We have to be shown this. So Moses sees this. He's learning where he's weak. But also, in verse 16 to 22, Moses is going to leave the only home he's ever known to actually go to the home that God has for him. Look at verse 16. Now the priest of Midian, second time we've heard about Midian, had seven daughters, and they came and drew water from the, and filled the troughs of water uh, their fathers to water the father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and he saved them, and he watered their flock. And when they came home, their, their father Ruel, he said, how is it you've come home so soon? Now, this is very, this is very common in that day. You, you sent the women to, to, to get water from the well, but what's indicated here is that Ruel had seven daughters, but no sons. And if you're a woman in this day and you didn't have brothers, you were quite vulnerable. Now, there's something here that wouldn't be obvious to us in English, wouldn't be obvious to us in the 21st century. But it's important that we know that, that what Moses is doing here is showing how his own personal story foreshadows how Israel will be led out of Egypt. How he was led out of Egypt, how he had to go out of Egypt, this kind of foreshadows. And here's where we see this. First is in the, this idea of Midian, this, this area that he went to. Midian was part of the land that God promised Abraham. So you know where he, he is fleeing to? The promised land. <laughs> they haven't inherited it yet, but that's where he's gone to, the promised land, Midian. Also, when it talks about these daughters that he saved, that he stood up and he saved them, what's happening? Moses is rescuing those who can't rescue themselves. Isn't that the Israelites themselves? Isn't that what we're going to see in the Exodus? But also, even the, this father, Ruel, he's, he's, he's called later on Jethro, but the same man. Ruel's name, that name Ruel, it means friend of God. There's debate. Is this his name and this is his title? Is Jethro's name and, and Ruel's title or vice versa? There's debate about that. But let's just say for now, it's a title. What he was in title, friend of God. Moses would be... In reality, friend of God. Listen to this. 
The scripture is going to say later on in Exodus 33, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And so Moses, in writing this account, is purposely wanting to foreshadow how his deliverance foreshadows the Israelites' deliverance. But also there's something practical going on here. That God, is, as, as Moses is called to leave home, to go home, God is going to provide for him a family for him as a sojourner. This is important. Verse 19. It says, they said, and it, so, so the father of Ruel is saying, hey, you know, how did you come home so quickly? And they tell him, this is why verse 19, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, they think he's Egyptian because he still looks Egyptian. The way he dressed, his appearance still looked Egyptian, which is interesting. It's like Moses hinting at the fact that, yo, I had left Egypt, but there's still a lot of Egypt in me. Again, foreshadowing what's going to happen with the Israelites. But also, they said they, when they talk about how he delivered them, he didn't just deliver them. He actually watered the flock. That was very uncommon for a man to do. He's going to lead them as a shepherd, a servant shepherd. But, but here's the thing that I, that I want you to notice. He says to the daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Now, you got to know, if you're a dad with seven daughters, you're looking for husband material. And so they hear the story and they think, who is that man? What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. This is what they're thinking. They're thinking, this is what he's thinking. I, this, is a, this, is a, this could be a husband for one of my seven daughters. So what happens? Verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Gershom is a, is a name that sounds like a Hebrew phrase for sojourner. Now, now here, here's what's interesting. What's happening here, and Moses wants us to see this, wants the reader to see this, is that Moses is learning to have a faith like Abraham. The faith of a sojourner. This is what we see testified of in Hebrews chapter 11 about all the Old Testament saints, about what their faith was like. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth, Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the, the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can you see why we're saying Moses leaves home to go home? He's learning where his home is. This is like us. This is like what Israel's going to have to learn. We have to learn, listen, we have to learn, people, that this place is not our home. God's done some really great things uh, in our lives since we've moved from America to here some 18 years ago. But perhaps the best thing he's done for me is to show me that heaven is my home. I think it was about, maybe I'd, we'd been here for maybe year four or five, and, and people started asking us a lot, do you feel like this is your home yet? 
And I used to always feel embarrassed when they asked me because I'm like, well, kind of not really yet. But the truth was, America didn't feel like home either. And so I, I wrestled with this, you know. We go back to a visit. America doesn't feel like home. We live here. It doesn't quite feel like home. But guess what? It's not. And, and, and there's something freeing about to realize this place is not our home. doesn't mean I don't miss my family. I don't even miss some of American culture. I know it's shocking to think I'd miss anything about American culture. But I, I, sometimes I do miss that. But it doesn't mean I don't love this country. I absolutely love. I'm going to become a citizen soon. I love this country so much. But the reality is this. It's not my home. This is not our home. And the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses was a faith that looked forward to the heavenly home that God had for us. This is what we're going to see this theme unpacked in the book of Exodus. So Moses learns where he's weak. Moses leaves his home to go home. But Moses has to learn something really, really important that he cannot do and only God can do. Now, this last bit, verses 23 to 25, uh, is what they call an inclusio in a biblical text. It's the idea that we know when, when there's a section that started and end. This is the ending bit. The first bit would have been in the first seven verses where it names the tribes. It talks about how they, they multiply exceedingly. Remember, we talked about how... how this is starting to show this is the promised people. They're identified by their God. They're identified by the promises that God made to them. Well, here we have this section in verses 23 to 25, which is kind of closing off this whole section from chapter 1 and the, the end of chapter 2, that this is one section where God's wanting to make one point, where Moses was, was wanting to make one big point. And the one big point he wants them to see, that Moses wanted to see, was that their identity is not in their slavery. Their identity is in the Redeemer. Because only God can redeem. Look at verse 23 again. It says, During those days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Now that phrase, during those many days, okay? So if Moses is 40 years old when he ends up going to Goshen, when it says here these many days, this is speaking of close to another 40 years that are happening. So when we get to chapter 3, almost 80 years have transpired of his life. And this is important. Because sometimes we feel like, man, God's preparation takes way too long. I am super impatient when it comes to preparation. But God knows exactly what he's doing. It's also important for us to recognize that when it talks about the, the people's they cried out for help, and their, their, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. It's not that God was not listening to them for 400 years as they were slaves. Or that somehow that, that they, they had never, ever prayed before. Maybe they had, maybe they hadn't. But the indication seems to be that after Moses has this incident by killing the Egyptian and then being kind of called out by his Hebrew brothers and he flees, that maybe rumors beginning to fly. Maybe God's people were thinking, well, gosh, it, could this be? Could God actually provide a deliver? Could God actually get us out of slavery? So maybe this was God stirring up his people, crying out for, slavery, crying out for deliverance from slavery, rescue from slavery. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. I, I don't know if you've ever had a job that you felt it was like slavery. Seriously. 
where when you, you punch the clock in and you start to work, it goes so slow. And you're thinking, this is torturous. Maybe it was just even a task. Maybe it's not even your full employment. You have a task. It just feels like it's just monotonous and horrible. Add to that severe pain, oppression, and hopelessness. That's slavery. And think about this. Everyone you've ever known, every story you've ever heard traces back to slavery, 400 years of slavery. And here you start to hear rumors that there might be delivered, but you've got 40 more years of slavery. And you're crying out to God, how long, O oh Lord? I don't know if you guys, any of you guys are following our, our uh, Bible reading plan, but if you are, you're in Psalms. You should be your second uh, time through Psalms. You should just start with that. And you read the Psalms, and when you read the Psalms, you see this echoed throughout the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? This is the cry of a sojourner. When do we get there? When does the promise come to pass? When are we going to experience deliverance? When am I going to be actually set free? How long, O oh Lord? Now, I want you to think about this. Because they're crying out for this. They're in desperate need for this as God's people. They need this deliverance from slavery. And their deliverer is where? In the desert, far away. And he's far away. Listen, why? Because what he thought he could do, turns out he can't. He doesn't have. Moses doesn't have what it takes to deliver God's people. It wasn't that he didn't care. He saw the injustice, but he just didn't. As soon as he starts, what happens? He fails. His life's threatened. He runs away. He doesn't have what it takes. And Moses is, is writing this not only to show us, hey, here's where this section starts and ends, but also to say, listen, this is where God begins to take over. Because I was overwhelmed and ran from Pharaoh, but God's not overwhelmed. And I cared more about my safety than their suffering, but God is never apathetic about the suffering of his people, ever. So what we can't do, God can. But also, what does it say? I love this, these couple of verses. It says in verse 24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When you see the scripture say, and God remembered, it's not like God's kind of like up there in heaven talking to the angels. Hey, so how was coffee this morning? Oh, good, that's nice. Oh, I have a covenant people. I forgot. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't, can't forget. It's impossible for God to forget. This is when, God, when it says that God remembers, it means that he says, I'm going to act on my word. Now it's time to act on this promise. This idea that God heard and God remembered is a way for Moses to say to his people, and God was getting ready to move. He remembered his word. And then in verse 25, we see this kind of, in a sense, repeated. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. What did he see? He saw their suffering. What do you know? He knew it was time to really move. You guys know what today is? What day? Pentecost Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate when God sent his Holy Spirit, when God the Holy Spirit came upon his covenant people. And they all had tongues of fire on their head and they spoke in languages the beautiful praises of God 
as both the sign to 3,000 Jews who should have believed Jesus in the first place, a sign to their unbelief, but also an indication of God's willingness to save even those who have previously rebelled. And they received this power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus promised his disciples and commanded them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And I want you just to pray until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because then you're going to have power to witness, to testify of me. Because there's a world that is suffering, that, that has no hope, that is scratching out an existence, that is blind to their own brokenness. And that world needs to hear about Jesus. And without God's power, it ain't ever going to happen. But God's power through his Holy Spirit, is the promise. The promise. God promises to give us that power. In fact, listen, even before God uses us, he works by his Holy Spirit to prepare the people that he calls us to share with. Every single person, every one of you who knows Jesus, no matter what your story is, if you know Jesus, this is true of you. God was working on you before you were ever interested. He was preparing your heart. He was drawing you to himself. He was showing you what you needed to believe. Until the time that he said, believe. He called you to faith. And you chose to respond. He was working in you by his Holy Spirit. Listen, and sometimes he was working in you by his Holy Spirit through somebody else. This is important. It's important because we need to see what Moses couldn't do, God can do. God is able and committed to fulfill his promises. If he says, go and make disciples, you know what that means? That means they're disciples to be, to be had and made. If he says, like he did to Paul, don't be afraid to preach in Corinth because I have many people in this city. We can believe until the Lord takes us home. Guess what? There's still many people in the city that need to know him. See, God prepares us so that we could know him, we could follow him, and we could be used by him to do what only he can do set people free. Where are you in the preparation process? Are you in a place where all you know is, I'm weak? I'm weak. I know what I can't do. Hey, you could be in church your whole life, and then you have to get, through, get to a point or a season where you realize, I don't have what it takes. Praise God for those seasons. It's when our, we're in our weakest point that God shows himself strong. Maybe you're in a place where you're just thinking, I, I, I want to feel at home with God's people. I want to feel at home with God himself. And maybe the issue is the Lord's saying, stop building your house here. You need to leave home so you can go home. 
And maybe what it is is that you're in a place where you're thinking, okay, I gotta do better. I gotta admit my weakness. I gotta leave my home. I gotta do better. But God's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't try to do what only I can do. Don't try to do what only I can do. See, where Moses couldn't be delivered on his own, where we can't deliver ourselves on our own, Jesus can do it. Jesus does do it. He delivers us. By his spirit, by his spirit, he prepares us to see our need. By his spirit, he shows us our need for him. By his spirit, he brings us to saving faith. By his spirit, he empowers us to tell people about Jesus, no matter how timid we are, how afraid to speak we are, how weak we are. He gives us what we need to do that. You know why he does this? Because he wants to set people free. Do you believe this? I want to pray for us. And, and, and ask God to do for us what only he can do. Can we do that? Can we just take a few minutes to pray? Yeah? Let, let's get our hearts ready to pray. To seek God. For only he can do. Father, I want to pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you in truth, that they would know that. But I know that's easy for us to doubt and wonder where we're at, but there's a difference between doubting and, and unbelieving, just not wanting to believe. Father, would you expose unbelief right now? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, expose those who don't believe. And would you say to them, do not be unbelieving, but believe. Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, bring people to Jesus this morning. Anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, please save them as you have saved us. Bring them to know you. And Father, I pray that for us that do know you. Lord, help us to be willing to admit our ongoing weaknesses. Help us to know that wherever we flee, you're still with us. And help us to learn to believe like Abraham believed. Help us to be those that really are willing to sojourn because we believe we have a heavenly home. That the best is yet to come. And you want us to bring as many people with us as possible. And Father, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? We confess, Lord, we are powerless to do what you call us to do unless you fill us. We're so weak. We're so loveless. We're so prayerless. We're clueless about what it means to be holy. We're clueless, Lord, about what it means to really love the way you call us to love. We're so quick to judge everyone else's sin and hide our own. God, we need you to work in our lives. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us and get us ready 
to know you, to follow you, and to be used by you. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you a chance to respond to what God's Spirit may be doing in your heart. If God is calling you to saving faith, if you've recognized, man, I haven't trusted Jesus. I haven't believed that he is God's only son. I haven't understood or believed that he died for my sins. I haven't understood or believed that he rose from the dead. I've not asked him to save me. I have not trusted him to save me. Do it now. Ask him to save you. You say, I don't know how to do it. Yes, you do. If you wanted me to give you 20 quid, what would you do? You'd, in fear and trepidation, say, John, can I have 20 quid? And I'd say no. <laughs> but Jesus will say yes. Jesus will say yes. Ask him to save you. And for those of us that know him, ask him to fill you afresh. He commands us to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask for that fresh filling of his Holy Spirit that you would love and power, that you'd be bold, that you'd be convinced by the Spirit of the truth of who Jesus is. Pray for that right now. Lord, we pray for that right now. Yes, Lord. Father, I pray that you would place on our hearts what it is you want us to do. Lord, help us to wait on you. Lord, if, if Moses had to wait for 40 years before he knew that he was delivered, another 40 years before he was ready to be the deliverer, Lord, help us to be patient as you're preparing us. And Father, we thank you so much that where we failed and where Moses failed, Jesus succeeded. And we pray that we would trust you for the work that you've begun. Deliver us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. God bless you guys.